Jerry is overseas right now, <clears throat> so I thought this was a good time to read to you some more of his diary. <laughs> See, the tapes don't get there for a while. Um, Jerry claims to listen to every tape, and this is what he plays when he drives and everything. So I've never discussed with him that I'm sharing his diary with, with you. Um, and I thought this was a particularly safe time since he's in Belgium or England or someplace right now. The topic of the talk this morning is, I can go home today. And here's a man very much on our level of learning who wants, above all else, to go home. And so he has written in his diary very much the same kind of thing that you might write. But it's good to remind ourselves of this very deep desire because so often during the day we come to doubt that we have it, that we want the peace of God above all else, that we want to be kind to other people above all else. And so this service this morning is devoted to devotion. He wrote this on May the 3rd, 1983. Oh, when will I learn the lesson that to desire what my senses see will always keep me a victim? Oh God, dear Father, please help me out of this quicksand of the world. Help me find eternal peace. And here was God's answer that he wrote. Dear innocent child, you have forgotten what you are. You have fallen asleep. You have forgotten that peace and happiness eternal is always yours. You have forgotten that you are love. You are peace. You are joy. I created you as love. And you are always part of me. And always have my total love. There is no separation. There is no time. There is no space. You have no needs. You are love, and love has no needs, no desires, no strivings. Love is the one thing there is. Love is everything there is. Wake up, my child. Have no desires of the world, for the world you see is but illusion and valueless. Wake up, my child, and have but one desire, the desire to truly want to experience the peace of God. Desire only the reality of love. Know that your reality is spirit, not body. Spirit has no desire. Only the illusory body has desires. Dear child, have faith in me. See only the light in the world. And know 
that that light is you and that you are an extension of me. O child of God, have but one desire. Have only the desire to experience my love and my peace, and the world you see will be transformed. You will then be doing your part, and you, my child, shall find yourself filled with peace and joy and happiness, experiencing only love, never needing to experience emptiness and separation ever again. Then on June 17th, A heart that is full of God's love is a heart that is never in the need of anything. It never needs to get anything from anyone. It never needs to ask questions of anyone. and never needs to make judgments upon anyone or anything. Its only function is to join by giving all of itself away also on June 17th. Our happiness depends only on whether we feel united with God right now. And then this is the last <clears throat> entry on June 17th. O oh, Father, what peace I feel with you today. Your gentleness encompasses completely. All doubt about our joining and your eternal love for me has disappeared. Happiness and joy are certainties in my mind. All heaviness has disappeared and for an instant gravity is gone and I feel light as a feather. What seems to be the new experience for me is that you, my Father, need do nothing to prove to me you exist. I want to read that again. What seems to be a new experience for me is that you, my Father, need do nothing to prove to me that you exist. Now, before we go on, I'd like you to close your eyes with me. And you heard the devotion of those words. And you heard the devotion of the Eastern chant. And you heard the devotion in our opening song. And you know the devotion of the prayer of St. Francis. And you know the devotion that you've felt in the past. And you know it is within you. And so right now, with your eyes closed, let yourself settle down upon that devotion, your devotion. Don't ask whether you have it. You have it. Settle now on it a little bit.
sink into your deep love of God and your deep, deep desire to be whole. Okay. Many people are blocked on their progress home by thinking that they have to have an experience of God. You don't have to have an experience of God, and if you seek an experience, and the way most people talk about experiences, you are effectively blocking your progress. Now, we've all heard funny stories about the experiences that people have. We, all of us may be here, maybe there isn't anyone here who hasn't excitedly told of our experiences to other people. And possibly we thought that we were setting ourselves apart by doing that, that we were casting some shadow of glory upon ourselves by relating an unusual experience. Many of you now know, as I now know, that these kinds of experiences, these celestial fireworks that we cite, are very innocent and very harmless, but they do come from the ego. They do not come from the Holy Spirit or God or whatever you wish to call reality. There was a man um, a while back I met, a minister, uh, and he was telling me about his experience. We've all had experiences, uh, maybe not just like this, but this one I particularly liked. And that was that the Archangel Gabriel came over the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, flew over the Sangre de Cristo Mountains and landed on his patio. Now, I don't know if he was barbecuing uh, T-bones or just what he was. <clears throat> I'm sure they were Keller's T-bones if he, if he was doing it. Oh, no, i tell you what he was probably doing. Have you ever grilled fresh chilies over, over, uh, over coals? Uh, you, you've got to do this now. You, you go out to Jackalope. Jackalope sells pottery. And, of course, also chilies. What would you expect in Santa Fe? But they have fresh chilies that come in, you know, just almost hourly out there, so you can get very fresh chilies. You take them home. You can buy one of these little portable charcoal things if you don't have one. And then you roast the chilies on that, you see. And I'm, I'm sure the Archangel Gabriel would be attracted to this. <laughs> um. I can remember, I'm going to tell you this so that you'll know that there is, we all go through this funny business of thinking we've got to have some unusual experience. But uh, your friend and mine, Jerry Jampolsky, and me, and a few others here I won't embarrass by telling who they are, <laughs> were told by somebody 
that Jesus wanted to have a talk with. This was some time ago. We've come a little way. <laughs> Jesus wanted to have a talk with us. And so we all gathered together <laughs> here in Santa Fe because we'd been told that Jesus was going to manifest himself in front of us. It was a very embarrassing evening. <laughs> it went on and on. Jesus never manifested himself, and we tried to explain this away, you know. Uh, so... And I could, I could tell you other things that have happened to me, things that seemed very important and things that like that are just silly. And of course, you've had these kinds of experiences. Now, very often, you will have a genuine experience of God, which is just the simple experience of peace, a melting of your heart. And perhaps you'll cry, tears of joy. But the ego, of course, wishes to get in on this. And so there will be something added to it, like an out-of-body experience or some sort of uh, vision or some voice coming out of the rainbow or uh, uh, some instruction that you're to fast for 60 days or something. Um, this is all fine. It's all perfectly innocent, and you should never tell anyone who's relating one of these experiences to you what I have just said, that it comes, that this part comes from the ego, because they may doubt the other part, which was the true experience of the presence of God. Now, all that we learn eventually is not to emphasize the ego part of it, all the fireworks the precognitions, and all the other things that go on. Not to emphasize that part of it. It's not that they didn't happen. It's just that they have nothing to do with, Dear Father, I want to come home now. Now I am ready to come home. And the way you know the ego part of it is that you feel this excitement about relaying the experience to other people. There is no need to go relay a feeling of peace because you know the look you're going to get <laughs> if you simply say, uh, I feel so peaceful. <laughs> no one is going to pin any metal on you or see auras. You see, one of the things that happen, it's a very interesting phenomenon, never become important. Uh, it is a tremendous burden, and it can be a distraction for many, many people. Jerry's one of the few people I know who can pull it off. Uh, I, d I almost became important and saw what was happening and, and withdrew. I haven't accepted a speaking engagement or anything for almost a year now, and I haven't accepted any for next year either. Uh, because I realize that I must be quite a bit more peaceful before I can do that kind of thing. But there is an interesting phenomenon that, that comes along with public attention, and that is that people think that you are more holy because you have been recognized by the media or something like this. And people will sit in an audience, and you will give a talk, and now you are important, 
and they will see all kinds of lights going on around you and your hands glowing and all kinds of things. Don't take this seriously, folks. <laughs> Just smile and thank them. All they're doing is expressing their love and appreciation. Receive their blessing, but don't for a minute believe that you're special. Because specialness is the opposite road to God. It is the road to misery and unhappiness and loneliness. It is the thing that will cut you off from your friends when you try to distinguish yourself. But do not underestimate your ego. It will try to turn from worldly specialness to spiritual specialness. Have no specialness. Most of the truly holy people on this earth you would not recognize as holy people. They go quietly about their work and very often they have the role of a servant in one form or another. Every once in a while there is an accident such as Mother Teresa receiving the Nobel Prize. It was com a complete accident that that happened. That, that a woman who happened to be very far along would receive an ego prize. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and that can happen, but it is a fluke. But I am happy that it did because it does allow us to see what someone who is very far along does in a circumstance like that. She does, not re she does not answer the beckoning of the world. She does not try to save the world. She knows that it is by becoming holy that she will help the world. She knows that it is by filling her mind with Christ that she will help the world. This is the primary work. It is your awakening and not what you do with your body or your mouth that helps the world. You may do things with your body or your mouth, and they may be helpful, but they will not be helpful unless it is preceded by a gentilizing of your soul, a tenderizing of your acts and your words, an innocentizing of your vision, where you see people as innocent, and you start treating everyone with tenderness and kindness not an affectation, but a genuine outpouring of your heart. Then, if you happen to write or speak or something like that, it possibly can help. But she went back to the work that she was doing, helping the few people she could help, occasionally taking a talk so as not to bring attention to herself by refusing all such public appearances, and continued her walk home. So if you think you do not know God, what do you do? The reading from the Course this morning pointed out that it is never the problem of the means. It is only the problem of whether or not you think you want the goal. If you know that you want the goal, the means will be there because the means are so simple that it's almost accurate to say you can use any means and you will get home. You can, re you can use the Korean mantra. 
You can use breathing. You can use good, you can use good works. You can use reading sacred scriptures. You can use anything. You don't even have to use the word God or spiritual terms. All you have to do is to believe in the possibility of peace, the possibility of love. If you believe in the possibility of love between you and another living thing, even if it's just a pet, then you have begun your walk home. That's all that you need. The means will come to you. How do you love a cat? How do you love a plant? How do you love a dog? How do you love a child? If you wish to love them, of course you know how to do that. There isn't anything tricky or complicated about it. But do not make the mistake of thinking you have to have an experience and waiting for the experience. God knows how to find you. You don't have to find God. That is the simple fact. What then do you have to do in order to find God, since it's up to Him, since He knows where you are, since He knows how to come to you, since love knows how to bless you and transform you, since peace is reality and life and intelligence and mind, it knows how to come to you. Your peace knows how to come to you. It isn't some sort of uh, slowing of the blood flow in the body. Peace is God. It is your essence. It is intelligence. It is consciousness. It is all there is. It is the only mind, the only life. It is your one self. It is your home. It is your family. It knows how to come to you. It knows you're lost in a dream right now. And it knows that finally you wish to wake up. Perhaps you're quite conflicted about it still. But the desire has begun. So what is your part? How do you facilitate this coming of Christ, this coming of peace, this absolute devotion, this total acceptance, this love of complete forgiveness? How do you facilitate that? You simply practice not interfering. That's all. Don't interfere. How do you have peace? practice no war. To practice no war, peace can come to you. To want war, to want to be right, to want to make your point, to want to express your opinion, to want to distinguish yourself, is to want war. And peace can't come to you because peace has no force in it. When you want peace, even for an instant, unequivocally, peace will come to you. <coughs> Practice no conflict. Practice stillness. Practice quietness. Practice relaxation. Practice being happy, and peace will come to you. The little song that we sing here sometimes sums it up so beautifully. 
You just row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. So you see that all your rowing does is it doesn't interfere. What if you start rowing very rapidly? Got to get those oars in the water. Or what if you study new techniques of rowing? <laughs> you get the latest book that's come out, and you go try to proselytize everybody into this is the way to row. No, 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 no. <laughs> you row gently down the stream. Can't you picture that? The rowing does nothing. That's all. But that's so important. Do nothing. Learn what it means to do nothing. You have nothing to do. You have no place to go. I have no place to go. I have nothing to do. Would you close your eyes with me and say that to yourself? I have nothing to do. I have no place to go. I have no place to go. I have nothing to do. And feel the river of God pick you up when you stop interfering. I have no place to go. I have nothing to do. God will do it all. Okay. You see? That's all there is to it. Did you feel a little of the swell of the river lift you up just a little bit? Just a little relaxation? Just a little peace? You have no idea how close you came to home. You can go home today. The only question is, do you want to go home? Of course you want to go home. Do you want to know you want to go home? Then tell yourself, my desire for peace is very great. My desire for home is far greater than I realize. Below all this insanity, below this latest problem, this latest crisis, my desire for the peace of God is very great. That is a fact. You can say it in any circumstance. You will never be dishonest when you say those words. My desire for the peace of God is the only desire I have. And now God can come to you. Call it surrender, if you wish. Call it giving up, if you wish. There was a, a wonderful uh, <clears throat> poster. I, I don't remember the guru's name. It was a, it was a guru that came. Uh, Tui, maybe you'll remember. It's a guru that came from uh, India. He's died now. He had he had a wonderful hooked nose. That's it. But who, who, Mayor Baba. Mayor Baba. He had this wonderful hook nose and he had this wonderful little smile. Maybe you saw his poster got around a lot. And at the bottom it said, Don't worry, be happy. 
That's it. That's how simple the means are. If ever you want to know what to do, don't worry, be happy. A Course in Miracles says, you think that this course is too simple for you to learn. <laughs> but you will find a way to make it complicated enough that you will be able to learn it. <laughs> ah, I know many of you are thinking, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. My, uh, my grandfather used to take me to uh, watch the SMU games in Dallas. And uh, we would sit in the stands. And my uncle was there. My uncle was, was there and my granddad was there. And it was cold and it was often wet and you were very far away from the football game. And I noticed at a very young age that everybody was liking this. They were standing up in joy and screaming, booing and hissing at the bad football team, encouraging the good football team, praising everything that Dope Walker did in those days. Have you seen these guys on TV that go to the football game without their shirts? And the camera goes on. They are happy. Why are they happy? They don't have their shirts on. It's uh, 10 below, and they are smiling, and they are gloriously happy because they have decided to be happy. <laughs> Can you think of any other reason? <laughs> I can remember in college... Um, <laughs> This is at the point in which I began to realize a little bit that this walk home is not deadly. <laughs> and my way of expressing it was to get together some people, and we were going to empty all, we did, in fact, empty all the chairs out of one classroom building, building and place them up on the roof. I don't know what the logic of that was. I don't know what the symbolism of it was. <laughs> but I remember it was very cold and it was very dark. And it was somewhat scary to be doing this. And yet, we enjoyed it. Would you enjoy such a job? Sir, today what I would like you to do is to take all the chairs out of the building and place them on the roof. <laughs> would you think that this was a happy job? It could be a happy job if you would decide for it to be. Now, we've talked about MDs. And the reason that I've talked about MDs recently is because in counseling, I realize that a number of people have this silly notion that they're not supposed to go to an MD. But I want to tell you about a very prominent MD here in this town. I'm not going to tell you who he is. He's too prominent for that. <clears throat> but... Um, Gail and I were over in his hot tub. This was some time ago. Now no one can see my body. <laughs> this would be too embarrassing. <laughs> but um, I had a body in those days. <clears throat> <That's right. laughs> 
You helped me a lot last time. You, some of you were doing something. Um, and so I was, here we were, this other, this friend of mine and I, the MD, and uh, we had gotten out into the hot tub before everyone else, before his wife and Gail. Uh, and uh, it was it was a blizzard. This is the time to do it, of course. Hot tub. And um, so I don't know who got this idea, but we got the idea of rolling in the snow. And uh, so... Uh, we, of course, waited for the audience to appear. <laughs> and once it had, we rolled nude in the snow. And uh, then we got back in the tub, and for at least 20 minutes, we lied about how much fun this had been. <laughs> but I can remember it was fun. But we had decided that it was going to be fun. That's all that had happened. Can it be fun in the middle of a blizzard when you're wet and naked to roll in the snow? <laughs> I ask you that. <laughs> Several years ago, when um, we first met Jerry Jampolsky, um, Gail and I visited the center uh, several times, did some work with uh, some of the parents and the children there in Tiburon. And there was one fact that uh, I kept hearing over and over again that impressed me greatly. Family after family would say this same thing. They would be told that their child had cancer and was going to die in those days uh, they didn't have the chemotherapy that has been developed just in the last few years with leukemia. So leukemia, even at that point, uh, was was only just beginning to be cured in some forms. And of course, there were many other forms of uh, cancer that these children had, as well as other illnesses. And so the the, the uh, parents would say this: uh, We were told that our child had cancer and had about a year to live or whatever the time was and then they would tell what happened what do you think happened during that year it was the best year the family had ever had and I'm sure you have seen this there have been uh, a number of specials on educational television about this that has included this very phenomenon someone is told that their spouse is going to die and in the next few months are the best ever in the marriage. Why? Cancer doesn't make you happy. What makes you happy is the decision to be kind to this individual, to put all your needs aside and to give with all your heart, without any exception whatsoever. And for many people, not for all, this is not always the happiest time of people's lives, but it's remarkable how often it is. The simple decision is made, I will be as kind and as nice to this person as I can until they die. And then you have the happiest time of your life. That's how simple it is. To give is to receive. 
Don't tell yourself what it means to give to another person. Because if you do, you will go back to your personal history and you will ask yourself, what things do you like to receive? And you will automatically start doing this for the other person and they may not like those things. They may not like lots of conversation, for example, or lots of activities, or lots of candy, or whatever the thing may be. But you look at them, and you see what makes them happy, and as best you can, you give it, and you start approaching God, and you have the true experience of God, which is simple happiness. But it is so innocuous, this happiness, this peace that we talk about, this moment during the day that you decide to just relax. I think I'd rather be happy than right. You just say that to yourself because you're been, you're been trying the last hour to, so hard to be right. I think I'll be happy. So you can't be right without making someone else wrong. That's why it doesn't work. You can't take sides against your brother and be truly happy. And so you say, I think I'd rather be happy. I think I'll relax. Maybe this isn't so important, you say. Now, it seems like so little, doesn't it? That moment of rest, that moment of relaxation. But it is the gates of heaven. That's what it is. You don't realize it. You just think it feels better than agitation and anger and bitterness and depression and all this other stuff that we don't have to have. But when you decide to relax, you have touched the gate of heaven and the door is beginning to swing open. Yes, perhaps you'll turn away from it and then you'll come back and it'll swing open a little further. That's how simple it is. Practice relaxation. Practice peace. Pa practice rest. And you have literally got your hands on God when you do that. Another major deterrent to experiencing God aside from thinking that you have to have some sort of fancy experience to begin with instead of the simple experience of happiness and peace is the suggestion that you can judge whether or not you have peace now. So this comes in at the time that you've that you may have turned to God, and then the higher ego comes in and tries to judge the experience. And so what you wish to do is to develop a new kind of certainty. This is a wonderful tool. Be certain that you are as peaceful as you can be. Do not try to have perfect peace. Do not try to have perfect love or be perfectly kind. Do not try to relax completely. But be certain that you are as peaceful as you can be. So 
a little earlier, we, we pointed out that all of us have been happy in the most remarkable uh, circumstances because we've decided to be happy in those circumstances. All of you could get up and tell stories like I just told. And yet, it does not follow that you therefore can have happiness and peace in any circumstance. There are many circumstances that at your level of learning and my level of learning, we cannot have perfect peace. And it is unrealistic. As a matter of fact, it will stop your progress if you try to have perfect peace under all circumstances. But it is very important to realize that you must eventually be able to be peaceful in today's circumstances if you are to ever awaken. And that's, that's the other thing, possibly the third thing we could say that delays us. That this particular circumstance today is somehow unusual. That somehow we got the flat as we were going to the appointment. And all we can think about for the next 10 minutes is the goal of changing the tire or getting around the traffic jam or whatever the thing is. Because we now have a goal beside the peace of God. In place of the peace of God, we have a goal. Whenever you have a goal, you cannot experience the peace of God. Have only one goal, one desire. But don't tell yourself that you can have perfect happiness if you're late. Very few people can't be happy when they're late. They can't be peaceful. But you can be as peaceful as you can be. I hope, I hope that's clear. You can have a definite feeling of certainty that you are being as peaceful and as happy as you can be under the circumstances. Because the ego is like a, a little two-year-old that builds a, a, a little uh, building of blocks, and because one of the blocks falls off, it knocks the whole building down. You've seen that, haven't you? That's the way the ego works. If it can't have what it, what it decides is best, then it says all is lost and it sets out to prove it. So don't do that. No, you're not having perfect peace. No, you're not as peaceful as you were uh, this morning. No, you're not as kind as you've been in other occasions. But realize that you can be as peaceful as you can be. There is a level of peace and relaxation and happiness that is attainable for you at your level of learning in any circumstance. And it is that level of peace and happiness and awareness of the presence of God that you want. And you can have a sense of certainty that you have reached it and that you're maintaining it, that you're doing the best you can. Just ask yourself, am I doing the best I can? Am I as peaceful as I can be right now? If you see some way that you could try a little harder, fine. If not, then be content. Be happy. 
with the amount of peace that you are exercising? Are you pausing as much as you can pause? Speaking of MDs, uh, there's one who uh, comes to this church and who delivered uh, our baby, Jordan. Um, and uh, I don't know if I told you this story. Maybe I did. But there we were, and, and it was a very, very difficult birth for Gail. And uh, so... Uh, she was calling for foreign substances. <laughs> screaming, she says. Okay, she was screaming for foreign substances. Um, what what might be called recreational drugs? In the middle of this. Um, I had definitely gotten caught up in the whole situation, and I was sitting there and holding her hand and lifting her up when she had to push and all that stuff. Uh, and um, so I started calling for foreign substances. <laughs> Not for me, you understand, for, for her. Uh, and uh, the... Uh, the obstetrician um, paused in the middle of the birth. He left the room. I mean, this was this was in a late stage, and this was unconventional. I didn't, you know, everybody was quite surprised. But when I started uh, echoing what Gail was saying, because I thought I couldn't get away. I couldn't. Somehow, I, it was my duty to stay there. This is a mistake we often make. We think that we can help someone by getting caught up in whatever they're caught up in. And of course, this is always a mistake. If you are caught up in the problem that the other person is having, then you are in no position to help. Now, the doctor was saner than I was at that moment, and he realized that he was going to get caught up in this too. Um, and so he left uh, the the room. He just walked out of the room. And he went, uh, someone, a friend of mine saw him, he went someplace and closed his eyes and paused. <clears throat> and he saw clearly what it was he needed to do, how much he could do for and how much he, what, what line he should not pass, that it would be harmful. And then he came back, and he was very peaceful and very firm. And he said, we can do this and this and this, but we're not going to do this. And that was all there was to it. So pause as much as you can pause. Break with the situation if, as you can. Be as peaceful as you can be. So what do you need to do? To experience God. You need to have God as your goal. And you need to get the world out of your way. Only those two things. Make God, make peace, make love, make gentleness your goal, your only goal. 
and set your priorities within the world. Now, this may sound like a contradiction. This may sound like having another goal, but it is not, it is not a goal in place of peace. It is a goal that allows peace. So there will be circumstances that will arise in which you cannot be very peaceful at your level of learning, and that's just simply all there is to it, and so you're as peaceful as you can be. But what about all the circumstances that you could walk around if you would just take a moment and see how to walk around them? What about the recurring things that happen every morning and every day? So you must see what your worldly priorities are, and you must set them clearly. This is generally not understood with people on a spiritual path. They think they are supposed to neglect the world and just let it be chaotic. But you can't be peaceful if your life is chaotic. There must be some degree of order. You must eliminate everything that you can eliminate that causes you trouble. You must make your way easy. And in order to do that, you have to see every single day what your worldly priorities are. What is it that has to get done today in order for you to be peaceful? Then forget everything else. Don't let the ego come in and tell you about a hundred other things that need to be done. See what has to be done most in order for you to be peaceful, set that clearly in your mind as a part of your goal for peace. If you cannot do this particular thing, your goal is still peace. But if you can do this or some part of it, then you do it. Is there something that needs to be bought? Do you need to run this errand? Is there something in the car that's bothering you? Is there something in your going on in your body that's disturbing you and you need to have it checked out? <clears throat> what is it that is disturbing you? So now your, your, your priorities are not ego priorities. They're not worldly priorities. They're not things that make you a popular, swell guy. They're not things that make you richer. They're not things that make you anything that the world values. So you're not setting worldly goals. You're doing, you're taking care of the things today that need to be taken care of. So in the morning, when you pause and you set your goal for the day and you turn your thought to God, be sure and include both things. Peace is my only goal. Peace is my only desire. What must I do today? What few simple things must I do today in the world to give me the easiest possible time? Do I need to cancel this engagement? I'm obviously worrying about it. Then let me cancel it. Do I need to rest my body? Am I getting sick? Is the cold getting worse? Then sit down and see what you want to do about this. Do you need to call the office and take the day off? then see that you need to do that and take the day off. It doesn't matter whether or not this hurts a little bit about your job performance. The thing you want is the peace of God. It doesn't matter if it tarnishes your image a little bit 
that you're the person who always is at work and never gets sick. What does that mean? That means nothing. So in the morning, see what it is you need to do. Set the goal and be infinitely flexible about it. If you can't do it, you can't do it. But you're going, this is the thing you're going to try to do because it would make your way easier. I hope that's clear. That is so important and is so neglected. People don't do the few simple things they could do to live the kind of life they want to. It's all right for you to live the kind of life you want to. It's okay for your house to be the way you want it to be. It's okay for your house to be as neat as you would like it to be. There isn't anything that you can't do about your life. You are the one that controls how many uh, engagements you have, how many errands you run. Do you wish to make a list before you go to the grocery store to cut down on the number of trips that you have to go during the week? Then be organized. No, you don't have the memory that so-and-so has. They don't have to make the list. But what does that have to do with you? You want to walk home. You don't want to have the appearance of being further along than you are. What good is that to you? To have the appearance of being further along than you are. Take yourself where you are. If you need to make the list out and be better organized, make the list out. If you need, go, if you need to go get the massage, go get the massage. If you need to have your hair taken care of, if it would make, your, make you more peaceful to have the permanent, if you're worrying about how you look, and if this is the simple solution, go have the permanent. Remember, you heard it first here. <clears throat> now, in AA... AA has 12 steps, you know. But I want to tell you about the original three steps. Because if you go back and study how this whole thing started, you'll see there was just one man who was about to drink. He knew he was about to drink, and he found another man who happened to be an MD, incidentally, uh, who was having a real hard time. And they got together. That was the first two people that got together. And that was the whole start of the uh, AA program. But do you know what the original AA program was? If someone was an alcoholic and they turned to someone for help, you know what the person said to them? Three things. Do you want to stop drinking? The person would say, yes. Do you believe in God? The person would say, yes. Then let's get down on our knees. That was it. That's the whole program. That's how simple it is. We need the 12 steps. We need the 21 steps, the 35 steps. We need the 365 lessons. But it is that simple. Do you wish to go home right now? Right this minute? Three minutes, not, uh, 11.57. Do you wish to go home right now? Of course you do. Of course you do. Close your eyes with me then. We can't get on our knees, but close your eyes with me 
and say right now, say right now, I want to go home. I want to know my Father. I want to know my Father's love for me. I want to go home. I want the peace of God. You aren't trying to open up God's heart. You are telling yourself what is in your heart. And this opens up your heart when you tell yourself what you know is in your heart even though you've gotten caught up for the moment, thinking that you want something else, but you know you don't want something else. You want to go home. You want to know your father. You want to know your home. You want to waken God. You want to be a good, kind, decent person. You want to be a good mother, a good father, a true friend. Of course you do. So right now, while I be silent, let us all do that together. Let us join our mental arms and together let's go home.